Hello and welcome to the Nexus podcast. I'm your host, Jotham Jaroge, and today we have with us once again, Father Joe Babendraya. If you are familiar with the Nexus podcast, you've probably listened to the episode where we dealt with addiction to pornography. It's actually one of the most listened to podcasts, and so I think we hit on a very big issue there. And today we are going to focus on another big issue. This time it's alcoholism or alcohol abuse or alcohol use disorder, however you may want to call it. So, Father Joe, welcome to the Nexus podcast. Thank you, Joe. I'm glad to be here. Uh, indeed, and uh, we're glad to have you. I'd mm-hmm. like to begin by asking what exactly it means to say that someone is an alcoholic. And is there any difference between being an alcoholic and just getting drunk occasionally? Well, it's a question of the words we use. Let me just start with a story, that something that I witnessed myself many years ago. This must be about 40 years ago, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just remember happening, I happened to be in a hospital, and uh, there was a young man who was only about 35 years old. He was dying. Wow. His wife was by his bedside. There was a priest, and there was a doctor. And I was just kind of an onlooker there. And um, he was dying because, well, uh, he had very serious complications because of all the alcohol he had consumed in previous years. Mm-hmm. Uh, two things amazed me and just remain indelibly engraved in my memory from that night. Uh, well, I was only there for about an hour, um, but still deeply engraved. Uh, first is that he was only 35, year, 35 years old and he was dying. Wow. And all because of the alcohol. Uh, he had obviously consumed quite a bit in his years. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing was that he just, he just kept telling his wife, I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, he really regretted what was happening to him, but it was beyond his control. Uh, I remember the doctor saying something to the effect uh, later that, well, there was nothing we could do for him. He was bleeding internally, and in fact, he died the next day. Wow. This young man. Um, so those two things um, kind of woke me up to this world of, wow, you know, somebody can not only just go out and get drunk, from time to time, uh, which is already bad enough, um, they can become, like, let's say, captive to this world of drinking where they are doing so much damage to themselves that it would just it literally kills them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, obviously, there's a big difference between someone who just, let's say, occasionally gets drunk and someone who is just drinking so much that it is uh, literally killing him or just ruining his life in other ways. Mm-hmm. So, uh, obviously, you're not going to become an alcoholic uh, if you don't drink. Uh, <laughs> but just because you drink doesn't mean that you're an alcoholic. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you would have to ask uh, a doctor about this. I'm a Catholic priest. I know very little about medicine. I'm just giving, might say, it's just a common sense explanation to the difference between being an alcoholic and getting drunk. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much for that. And uh, I'm really amazed that um, this story you've told involves a young man of 35, and you said he was yeah. married. So he, I yeah, yeah married with three children. 
oh boy, three kids and no. so young. Um, no. So you see, that's sad. Yeah, that's that's something that strikes me as a bit odd because uh, this is a man with a family, a young man with a family. I mean, 35 with a wife and three kids is, you could say just by that description that this is somebody who seems to have figured things out in life. He's settled early. Um, mm. And and yet it's like he's had this thing disturbing him for a long time. So is alcoholism something that almost invariably begins with young people? As in, how do how do people get hooked to alcoholism? Um, yeah, how does it happen at such a young age and perpetuate itself into deep into someone's life? Yeah, uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm not 100% sure how to answer that question. I just can speak from practical experience of being a priest and dealing with people, let's say, from that point of view. Mm-hmm. You see, people who look for help will often come to a priest or some kind of you know a friend who can give them counseling or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I'm approaching it more let's say, from the counseling point of view than from the medical point of view. Yes. So uh, I, I'm, I'm giving you my answers in, in that uh, vein. Mm-hmm. So what I have experienced, and I have, you know, seen this happen so often, it, it, the person doesn't really know what's happening to him or to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as he or she is concerned, uh, they're, they're doing what they see a lot of people, other people doing. And let's face it, no matter where country you go to, you can find a lot of people, uh, overindulging in alcohol. Yeah. Um, and, and they don't realize that, no, this, there's some, there's a difference here between what's happening to me and what's happening to these other people. Now, a lot of times it, it doesn't really register your, you know, it's classic, classic description of someone who is deep into a problem with alcohol that they're in denial. Uh, they don't want to talk about it. They usually don't talk about it. They don't even, you know, they don't even want to face the difficulty that they're in. Uh, they will tend to think that they do not have a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. Um, they just see themselves as doing what the other people are doing. Yeah. Um, so that's always the first thing. It's, and it may not start young. It may start older. Um, I've seen both cases where somebody starts very young or somebody starts much later in life. Mm-hmm. What's the hard thing to realize is that, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen. There are some people who can get drunk frequently and never, let's say, become captive to alcohol in the same way that another person will become captive to it and become literally physically addicted to it. So that's why it's a little bit hard to even tell the difference between one and the other. Yeah. Um, Actually, that sort of touches on this point in your book, Spiritual Combat, where you say that there's a difference between addiction and obsession, and you say that addictions are more physical and obsessions are more emotional. So um, from the story you've told us, uh, there seems to be a real physical dependence um, caused by alcohol addiction. I mean, it's a, it's a physiological thing. 
But yeah, I, now I I did a bit of research when I was doing that book, and of course now we're in more into the medical side of things. But yeah. this is just something that is so well known. You don't have to be a doctor to figure it out. Yeah, uh, there are just certain physical reactions. Let's better, maybe perhaps better called chemical or biochemical reactions that create a situation in your life, just physically in your body, mm-hmm. where you depend on this substance in order just to get through the day, in order just to feel normal. You literally end up depending on this thing, let's say physically, chemistry, chemically. It's it's not something that you have a lot of control over. You have created a situation by frequently drinking and getting drunk Mm -hmm. that your body now craves this so... Uh, let's call it so, you know, so um, insistently, so deeply mm. that you can't feel normal unless you're drinking. Yeah. Um, and, and now and my, that's my, why it's something physical. It's, yeah. It's that's something physical, more than just an emotional thing. It's like a yeah. physical thing. <laughs> so is, is there some emotional or sort of psychological dependency as well? Um, you know, kind of like I'm trying to see how this could be related to the pornography addiction thing um, because uh, okay, pornography seems to be something you consume uh, emotionally, psychologically and I'm sure it has some physical manifestations and, and repercussions. Actually, I think that's why this new organization that's trying to combat pornography calls itself Fight the New Drug because of the whole um, dopamine uh, cycle etc happening in the brain so uh, could could there be something similar in alcohol abuse i mean the biology aside could there be something psychological that makes somebody feel that they they need this to to get by in in life or to it's the only way of re, of well, resting i've seen both things you know you see some people that are drinking because they're running away from a problem mm. But I've seen the other thing, too, where the guy has no real problem in life. Uh, yeah. On the contrary, his life couldn't, I mean, from a, let's say, social point of view, couldn't be better organized. Yeah. Um, you know, he has a wife and children and a good job and all the rest of it. And yeah. uh, and yet he's, 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 he just keeps going back to the alcohol. And he, he himself is not even sure why. Why does yeah. why is this happening to him? Mm. So... Um, yeah, you can go both ways. Maybe there's some, there can be some kind of emotional dependence where the person is using the alcohol as an escape. Yeah. Um, but that's not always necessarily the case. Sometimes yeah. it's just, you know, the person just simply likes the alcohol. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, like, like you said in your book, many of these addictions or obsessions are based on things that are good. Um, food oh, yeah, is good, uh, drink is good. It's just that now too much of it is what becomes bad for you. Um, well, the point with precisely with the, the problem with alcoholics is that they, there's something that prevents them from being able to moderate. Mm-hmm. And this is the peculiarity. But for whatever reason, that once they start drinking, and I've talked to many people about this mm. in, in counseling, okay, in spiritual direction. Mm. Once they start, they just, they, they, don't, they don't know what happens to them. They just 
can't stop until it's, you know, they're completely gone. Um, so that's the real difficulty here is that they, they lose an ability, at least many. I don't know if all, okay, but many talk about this phenomenon. You, you lose this ability to moderate your intake. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, actually, and I'm seeing again very many parallels with, with porn addiction because you remember the example I gave from that uh, documentary I watched that, um, the analogy was given that y- your brake pads were off. Uh, yeah. And gone. You, you're trying to to step on the brakes, but uh, not yeah, working. Not no. working. Um, now, something interesting I read from C.S. Lewis in this book of his The Four Loves. He says that mm. alcoholics hate alcohol, <laughs> and their only pleasure comes in killing the unbearable craving for alcohol. So you know, it's interesting that he puts it that way. You know this. And I've seen this, you know, you get someone who is uh, deep into this problem with drinking. Yeah. And one of the things you notice is he he doesn't want to do this. Yeah. It's not like he's doing it because he thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. On the contrary, uh, he realizes that he has this craving for alcohol. He just does not know what to do about it. Mm. And this is what is so sad. You, you get people who uh, they, they don't know where to turn. Mm. They don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. So that brings, that brings on a whole nother topic, which is so important. You know, what's more important than talking about alcoholism is talking about the people who live with alcoholics. Ah, okay. Because... The person who's the alcoholic is, well, rarely ever going to face the problem. The only people who are, let's say, conscious of how bad it is are the people who have to live with the person who just again and again goes out, gets drunk, comes home, and makes life unbearable for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Because you see, when the, the, the peculiarity of alcohol is that it just blanks your mind. You don't even remember the next day what happened. Wow. You're, you're, you're not conscious of what is happening. You, you totally you lose your ability to make a judgment. That's why it's, you know, you're doing harm. Yeah. You're incapable of even knowing what you're doing, let alone yeah. judging what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you can't even remember the next day what's happened. At least the people who get really are really deep into a problem, they don't they don't know exactly how much harm they're causing because they're they're out of it when they're doing the harm. You know, yeah. they're they're drunk basically. Yeah. They don't know how much harm they're doing. So yeah. it's the people who have to deal with the person who's constantly getting drunk, who are the real key to. Um, solving the problem at least in my experience yeah and um that that's a very interesting issue because um yeah just what you said uh maybe i'll start with the story <laughs> uh, this yeah. is from the little prince uh, by antoine de saint exupery i think it's the shortest chapter in the little prince where he the little prince lands on a planet and there's um a drunkard there with uh, some open bottles and some closed bottles not yet opened 
The guy is mm. obviously drunk, but still sober enough to have a conversation with the little prince. So the mm. little prince asks him, uh, why are you drinking? And he says, uh, to forget. And he says, uh, to forget what? Uh, to forget that I'm ashamed. Um, ashamed of what? Ashamed of drinking. And he just, at that point, he closes in on himself. And so it's it's uh, sort of confirming, it's actually confirming what you've just said that, and what Lewis says, that uh, they they don't exactly like the fact that they're drunkards, but every time they drink, they forget that. Um, they forget the shame when they are drunk. Uh, but That's the people sure. who have experienced them being drunk, um, they don't forget. <laughs> and they oh, have to put up with suffer. it. They suffer. And actually, now, now that we're on that, um, just another question. Because of the stupid things one does when they're drunk, mm. um, alcohol abuse tends to make people seem despicable okay, to others. And yeah. so we rarely have compassion for the drunkard and sort of prefer to give them tough love or to try and shame them into quitting. Um, so as as people who have friends or relatives who have an alcohol problem, how can we help them without being, um, how can we help them with compassion? You know, we are, we are suffering their drunkenness and yet we are patient enough to help them get out of it. So uh, how do you help somebody who has uh, an alcohol problem? Okay. Um, well, now, there are all kinds of different ways of doing this, but um, I would say the first thing is I'm approaching this more from my experience and pastoral work as a Catholic priest, okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first thing is that by the time someone gets to me uh, and they're talking to me, a lot has already been done, all right? Yeah. Uh, a, a person can come and talk to a counselor or talk to a Catholic priest or talk to... Uh, someone who's going to help them with counseling. Mm -hmm. uh, but long before that happens, other people have to intervene. Mm. Um, so I'm not so much telling you what I know from firsthand experience, but, you know, let's say listening to what other people have done. Yeah. Okay. Now, so um, the, the first thing to remember here is that trying to shame somebody into quitting is absolutely useless. It does oh. no good. It just makes the problem worse. The person who feels the most shame is the one who has the drinking problem. He or oh. she already already knows the shame that they feel is already very deep. If you're trying to shame them into quitting, you're just driving them deeper into uh, their problem. Yeah. It doesn't help. It hurts. It is shame does no good whatsoever. Yeah. Um, exactly what you mean by tough love, I'm not 100% sure. But let me just explain <laughs> one thing that, I don't know, it, it, it may be along those lines. Mm -hmm. If you have a person with a drinking problem, whether a man or a woman, okay, have a person with a drinking problem. They're out of control, in other words. They're, they're deeply addicted, and they're getting drunk frequently and causing lots of harm because of getting drunk. Mm -hmm. The person who is with them most of the time is usually in a position where they have to make a decision. 
what do I do with this, with this, I don't know, it could be a husband, it could be a wife, it could be a friend, or it could be a colleague. What do I do? And nine times out of ten, they don't know what to do. The alcoholic doesn't know what to do. The, the friend or the, or the spouse doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so, um, b- because nobody knows exactly what to do, the situation just tends to go on and on. But yeah. one thing is always a constant, is the alcoholic will lean on that friend or that spouse or that colleague to cover, to make up, to fix the problems. So they they rely on the uh, on the closest person to fix the problem. Well, let's put it this way: if they didn't have someone to rely on, where would they be? Um, in the bar drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, no. I mean, you remember when you when you after you get drunk, what are you capable of doing? Uh, nothing. Nothing. Yeah, it's true. If you don't have somebody to help you, uh, yeah, you're gonna go through some serious difficulties in life. That's why a lot of alcoholics just they they end up on the street begging. Yeah. Well, not a lot. I know a lot. You certainly see some. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Um. And exactly how low you have to fall before you hit the proverbial rock bottom is different in each case. But one thing that doesn't work is trying to help the person to, uh, how should we say, um, cover for the problems created by the drinking. Yeah. The one thing you don't want to do is cover for the person who's getting drunk and try to fix the problems they have created by getting drunk. Because when, when you do that, you're just facilitating the, you're just facilitating the continuance of this pattern of getting drunk. Mm -hmm. So the number one rule is you never ever give money to people. Uh I mean, the one thing, that an alcoholic usually desperately needs in order to continue doing what they're doing is money to get to buy the booze. Yeah. Okay, there are some people rich enough where that's, that just simply ceases to be a problem. But, you know, a lot of times the money has to come from somewhere. This stuff isn't cheap, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, sometimes it is the Shanghai, I suppose, is cheap. But, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of times it's not. So, you, you you never ever give them money for any reason because it's just going to go into the drinking. At least that's my experience. You yeah. Just you have to cut that off. You have to cut off the source, and you have to, in some sense, force the person who has a drinking problem to face all the harm that that person is causing by getting drunk so frequently. At least in my experience, it's the only thing that will. Uh, be beneficial here. You have to force them to be responsible. Yeah. By 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 refusing to cover for the problems they create with their drinking. Then yeah. the second thing that I have seen is that ultimately, at some point, you need three or four people to sit down with a person who has the drinking problem and just say, "Listen, we're here for one and only one reason." Mm-hmm. We want to tell you that you do have a problem. We're, we're not here to 
um, give you advice on how to overcome the problem, but we think the only way you will do something to help yourself yeah. is that we sit here and we tell you, your friends, your relatives, okay, you do have a problem. You should do something. You need to do something. Yeah. So um, that's that sometimes helps a lot. Now, you're talking about people who have a serious problem. Mm-hmm. It's extremely difficult to quit drinking, extremely difficult because of all the medical problems that come. But at least the person can begin to face the difficulty if they have that kind of help. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, that that's deep. And there's something there you said that uh, sort of um, worried me a bit, which is, okay, so you're not, not supposed to give your friends money or this person money if they're asking because they're just going to use it um, to 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 get themselves drunk. But mm. what about those cases where it's your friends who are buying you the drinks? You know, you have an alcohol problem. You don't have the money to continue fueling this problem. But your friends are the ones who take you out and buy you the drinks. They have the money. They also get drunk, but they're the ones who finance it. Well, if you realize you have a problem, (laughs) one of your first steps to curing the problem is to cut yourself, cut off all relationships with people who are... Uh, helping you <laughs> continue drinking, mm-hmm. you definitely have you have to walk away from that. Yeah. Come for, you must cut off all those relationships. But it takes quite a long time for somebody who has a drinking problem to get to that point. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, something you said earlier uh, also struck a bit of a <laughs> a bell in my mind. Uh, you talk about he or she, he or she. Um, yeah. And so we are seeing more and more women getting into alcohol abuse. Um, but theirs is, I think, more with wine. Um, so how is alcohol becoming, uh, alcohol abuse becoming more of an, uh, a women's issue? Or rather, how is it affecting women? Uh, because I think maybe it would have psychological effects that are far worse in women than they are in men. I don't know from your experience. What, what could you say about that? Well, the effects that I have seen don't differ a whole lot from men to women. I mean, both the men and the women are completely miserable. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Uh, Maybe the women feel it more deeply, and uh, they cannot compartmentalize as easily as men can. Yeah. So they're more likely to suffer in that sense. But I wouldn't make too much of a distinction there. Whether it's men or it's women, you're dealing with the same problem of uh, something that is very addictive and that is causing enormous amount of harm in family life and social life and your professional life, etc. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't stress that too much. What I would stress is something else. Mm-hmm. Um, each individual case is, is really distinct. You have yeah. some people that have a drinking problem and they become very violent. And so you, you see, you can see that strain, the, 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 the ones who get very violent. You have others 
who are like on the other side of the scale. You have no, nobody has any idea except maybe the person closest, closest to them that there's a drinking problem, what we call the functional alcoholic. Uh, someone who can go through life almost, almost normally on the outside yeah. and seem to have no problem whatsoever. The only person who knows is usually the spouse, yeah. maybe sometimes children, but if there are a few children, well, not even they will notice. So um, you, have those, you have those extremes. You have someone who, when they're drunk, is causing an enormous amount of trouble because they're violent. And then you have the other, the other extreme of people who, well, they don't seem to be causing any harm at all, mm-hmm. except in their very close, intimate relationship with friends or spouse. Mm-hmm. So it's a very individual thing because between those two extremes, of course, you have the whole continuum <laughs> and that yeah. spectrum. Yeah, yeah. And um, now, what about people who relapse into alcoholism? So the they got out of it, stayed sober for a while. How can we help them through a relapse? Because I think they probably have experienced the joy of being sober once again, but there's something that sort of draws them back, whatever that may be. And how can we, how can we help them or how can they deal with relapses? Well, the important thing for the person who has to help uh, someone in relapse is to have the same patience that they had in the first time around. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's face it, it is the most typical thing in the world for someone with a drinking problem to go back to the drinking problem when there is any kind of crisis. Oh. Um, so what you want to try to do is, uh, if you're the person helping the alcoholic, is, is even to some extent try to foresee a crisis because the crisis may be the trigger that drives them back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's very but it's typical. I mean, a relapse, I mean, you know, it's, it's just, it's very common it's very among common. people who have this difficulty. So you just got to be ready for it. Yeah. Now, I recently watched a TED Talk as I was researching on this topic. And there's a, a woman there. I think it's the most watched TED Talk on alcoholism. She says that her cure came from taking an opioid, um, an uh, opioid inhibitor. I think that's what she called it, mm-hmm. uh, naltrexone, um, mm-hmm. uh, opioid blocker called naltrexone, uh, which apparently works uh, for many cases. Um, do you have any experience with that? Have you? Well, now you're into a medical issue that I don't even begin to know how to talk about. So I okay. uh, really, you would have to seek some advice from people yeah. who know more about medicine. I, I have no comment on that particular oh. thing. But what I would, I would just emphasize the, the well-known common fact here is that uh, a person who gets continually drunk mm-hmm. does not necessarily become an alcoholic. You know, it doesn't necessarily lose control. It does not lose the ability to moderate. Um, In other words, there are some people who, for whatever reason, lose the ability to moderate very quickly. And because it's a chemical thing. That's why this thing tends to be genetic. Uh, In other words, there's something about your your body chemistry Mm-hmm. And this is just so well-researched that it's, uh, it's ca- kind of common knowledge, okay? Mm-hmm. There's something about your body chemistry that 
drives you into it when you're abusing alcohol. In other words, the alcohol changes your body chemistry mm -hmm. so that you are not just simply addicted to alcohol. You cannot function normally without it. Wow. And so that's the real key. You're always looking for that. I mean, this, yeah. this is a person who, you know, they have a, they have a serious problem. So the, the, the one way to really pick up on someone who's having this serious drinking problem that we call, for lack of a better word, alcoholism, mm -hmm. when they start drinking early in the morning, uh, then you know. <laughs> this, this is the classic case. You know, it's 10 o'clock in the morning, and uh, this person is already – you know, got a, a drink in the sand or he's maybe he probably hiding it, but he's drinking yeah. or she's yeah. drinking early, early in the day. Yeah. Clear sign that you have a problem and the alcohol has somehow changed the body chemistry. So this person has come to, to depend on it just simply to function, to try to function normally. Yeah. So whether some kind of uh, medicine can help and curing that i don't know that's where you have to bring in the doctor okay um so now uh, somebody told me a very interesting thing uh, his theory on alcoholism uh, as a global problem you could say he says that it's a lot more pronounced in africa and maybe asia than it is in europe because in europe they already have a culture of um, of wine and so from a very young age they're used to seeing alcohol around at the table they see it as something that is um, you know part of an ordinary meal and so by the time somebody goes to abusing alcohol it's where yeah there's something serious that has caused that but in Kenya where you're not allowed to drink until you're 18 uh, somebody's sort of looking at it as a forbidden fruit, and so there's some sort of adventure involved in drinking it, and maybe also because of the fact that uh, Kenya being largely a Protestant country, there's from the very beginning a sort of taboo uh, where alcohol is seen always as something terrible, and so somebody who goes to it sort of has the the secret uh, joy, you could say, uh, evil joy of going to the forbidden fruit. Um, what did you say about that? Okay, I don't have a lot of experience in uh, that sociological phenomenon that you're talking about. But to be honest, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how accurate it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's face it, I've lived in many different countries with all kinds of different people. And uh, what I tend to notice is something different, is that uh, it's this chemical thing I would go back to. There are some people who can get drunk, even pretty frequently, and never become alcoholic. They never become addicted to yeah. the stuff. Yeah. Uh, where you got other people, they don't even seem to get drunk that often. In fact, you, you might never find them what you would call drunk, in, in the, the classic case of, you know, crawling in the gutter. <laughs> um, no, it might not ever find them that way. Um, and yet they are alcoholic. Uh, there is something serious problem they have developed over the years because of this. So, um, I don't know. It, 
how much this depends on the way children are raised and whether forbidding alcohol until you're 16 years old or 18 years old does any good, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to argue one way or the other. But yeah. What I would say uh, is just something simple. Alcohol is a good thing, after all, you, you know, especially for, you, you talk about Christians, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when Jesus is there working his first miracle, he's turning water into wine. <laughs> and if you read, if you read that chapter, chapter yeah. two in the Gospel of St. John, it is quite a lot of wine. There were six <laughs> stone water jars, each capable of holding 20 gallons. That's a lot of wine <laughs> that Jesus yes. produces for this wedding feast. So yeah. we have to be careful not to condemn uh, drinking as such. Now, exactly when you want to introduce a child to that, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, let's put it this way. I grew up in a very normal household where it was just very common for my parents to have a glass of wine from time to time Mm -hmm. or a beer or something like that. So it was no big deal. Uh, I never had any special craving for the stuff because Mm -hmm. yeah, I just, I just saw it as just normal. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know if that contributed one way or the other to my just approaching it very normally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say this just again now we're looking at personal experience I mean uh, like myself personally I, I don't even I don't particularly like alcohol uh, mm-hmm. I, you know I've never been drunk I've never had more than two beers in my whole life mm-hmm. um, or more than two glasses of wine it's just I simply don't like it that much yeah. um, I, I don't mind I'll have a glass of wine or a beer but I don't, I don't have a craving for it what yeah. I notice is that some people from an early age, they have a craving for it. And, and I don't care whether you're talking about a Protestant or a Catholic or a Buddhist or an atheist. They just have this craving for the stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's what, I, that's what I find, you know, like, well, is, that, that's what is, it becomes so individual. Yeah. Um, so the, the thing I try to tell people is, listen, you know, you have to get to know yourself yeah. uh, and your cravings. So, yeah. I know myself. I'm never, I am never going to have, I've never had it. I'm never going to have that craving for alcohol that you see some people have. Yeah. I might have some other craving, but that's not one I have. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you just have to get to know yourself. I think it's a personal thing more than a social thing. I think that's, that's very important, that aspect of knowing yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's it also applies to practically any other type of propensity to addiction. Um, there's uh, just again, sorry to <laughs> insistently go back on the issue mm. of pornography, but oh. when I watched this documentary of uh, called Brain Heart World, um, one of the girls who had been addicted to porn uh, before and has had come out of it said that um, since then she knows herself, and so she deliberately avoids certain types of music which may ah. seem normal music to anyone else, but they trigger certain memories I, and trigger certain urges. Trigger. Yeah. Trigger is always the key word. Trigger. Yeah. Know your trigger. Know your trigger. Mm. Okay. Wow. Um, so well, that's all the time we have, unfortunately, <laughs> for this episode. I just wanted to recommend one book. You know, one book that I read. It's a novel, so it's quite pleasant to read. Yeah. It's called Pierced, Pierced by a Sword. Pierced by a Sword. 
Pierced by a Sword. It's written by a friend of mine called Bud McFarlane. A wonderful <laughs> book. It's a novel, and yeah. uh, it deals with this issue in a wonderful way. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, one thing we haven't talked about, especially as a priest I wanted to mention, you know, <laughs> prayer. It really does help for people to turn to God when they yes. have this problem. Number one, I tell them, you turn to God. He is the only one who is capable of helping you get over this problem. I would end with that. Okay. Um, Mm. Thank you very much. It's, uh, I started kind of smiling when you said uh, the name of your friend, Bud Mm. McFarling, because as we know, uh, one of the famous beers in the States is Budweiser. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know whether that was a marketing gimmick. <laughs> That's his real name. <laughs> okay. Uh, pierced by a sword. I am yeah. sure to put the link um, okay. in the description of the podcast so that if people mm. want to buy a copy, they, they can do that. Yeah. Um, Father Joe, thank you so much. You've given See? us uh, a lot of insights and we, have, we mm. really appreciate that. See you later, Jotham. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please remember to subscribe and also to check out our website. That's www.bagathistudycenter.org slash nexus. There you'll find out more about what we do at Bagathi. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email to bagathistudycenter at gmail.com.